0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There is no grace except for costly grace. There is no grace except for costly grace. That's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, the great Lutheran pastor and martyr who died at the hands of the Nazis during World War II. This is what he said in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. There is no grace except for costly grace. And Bonhoeffer compares that, contrasts that, with the idea of what he calls cheap grace. Cheap grace is grace that we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is maybe summed up by the quote that's been attributed to Voltaire and other people along the lines that, God loves to forgive, I love to sin, we are a perfect match. That's cheap grace. That's cheap grace. When we are just thinking grace... It's just the grace that I can bestow on myself. I know that I can always come back to God, and so I will live however I want. No, Bonheur says, there is no grace except for costly grace. And many who have looked into the scriptures and seen where is that teaching brought out most forcefully and clearly would point to a couple of those parables, those short little parables that we have in today's gospel. First, Jesus says, there was a man walking through a field and came across a treasure in the field. And in his joy he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. And again Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls and upon finding one of great value goes and sells all that he has and buys that pearl. Gotta say you lay i got to say to you ladies, that sounds a little bit like an impulse buy. Am I right? I'm going to sell all that I have and buy that field and purchase that pearl of great price. Impulse buy or not, many would point to these parables as teaching what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called that costly grace. But it does raise a question. It does raise a question for you and me, and the question is simple. Well, who actually does that? I mean, who among us does that, goes and sells All that they have in order to purchase what? Heaven. Eternal life. It does remind me of one man who was given the opportunity point blank. And maybe you remember this story. So once upon a time there was a a man who was a well-to-do guy, probably well-respected in the community, young man. Maybe he was a merchant himself. But instead of being in search of fine pearls, he was in search of some profound religious truth. See, he had looked through the Ten Commandments, and as he read the Ten Commandments, he read them like they had check boxes next to them. He said, oh, you shall have no other gods. Check, honor your father and mother. Check, you shall not murder. Check, and on and on it goes. Boom, 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 boom. He said, check, 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 check. What do I lack? He didn't know. But he had heard about this rabbi, Jesus, who had been teaching about the kingdom of God and eternal life, and so he came to Jesus. He said, teacher, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the commandments. And he says, yes, this is my point. I've kept all the commandments. So what do I still lack? You remember what Jesus says to him? Go and do what? Sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. And come follow me. And so the man goes and sells all he has. And like that merchant claims that pearl of great price, Right? He went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Here was a man who was given the opportunity, point blank, to go and to sell all he has in order to inherit eternal life, and he turns it down. Who actually does this? And maybe we could even push it a little bit further because it's not just a question of who does it, but is it even possible to be done? I'm a little bit uncomfortable with the idea that You or I could purchase a place in the kingdom of heaven. Like maybe you've been to those churches in New England, those old-fashioned churches, the big ones, where they would have not just pews, but they would have like box seats like they have at baseball games. Hey, baseball's back. You know what I'm talking about? And people could actually purchase pews. We do this unofficially in the Lutheran church now. You just give that dirty look when somebody's in your seat. Okay? You can't officially purchase it. Although, that, Mark, that might be a good idea to raise funds for endowment, like but it. we'll talk about that later. But this is the impression that you could get. Can I purchase a place in the kingdom of heaven the way that somebody could purchase box seats? I can get season tickets with eternal life? I don't think any of us want to say that either, right? And so we have to come back to this understanding of these parables, this conventional understanding well, that these parables teach the costly grace in which you or I sell all that we have, sacrifice all that we got in order to claim heaven. Is that really what it's teaching? I think there's a couple of, of unquestioned assumptions that you and I need to question about that interpretation. First of all, Jesus says, a certain man, a certain man. And we generally interpret that as, well, this is kind of the any man. This is any individual Christian. And then he says, you know, he sells all that he has. We would say, well, that means that he, he sacrifices everything in a metaphorical sense. He doesn't actually sell all he has. Okay, it's not a transaction, but, it, you know, he sacrifices a lot. And then the treasure, we would say, is, again, heaven, eternal life. Something like that. Three things need to be said in response to that interpretation. First of all, anytime Jesus has a parable where there is one of these things, where there's a certain man, and it's just this guy, and he's doing things, sometimes strange things. Anytime that happens in a parable of Jesus, that person stands for the Lord himself. Without exception. Every single time you've just got that single guy doing something, that Is symbolic of the Lord. And secondly, when we look at this, selling all that we have, all that he has, in order to to claim that treasure, out of joy doing that. This is not something that you and I do. This is not a parable about how we buy our place in the kingdom of heaven. What is this about? This is a parable, a gospel parable, of what Christ Jesus has done for you and me. You guys sang it just a moment ago. Lord of glory, you have what? bought us with your lifeblood as the price. Indeed, Hebrews 12 said that our Lord Jesus Christ, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, scorning the shame. Jesus is that man who makes that impulse buy. He is the one who sells everything, who lays down his life, who sheds his very blood to claim his treasure. So thirdly, It's not heaven, it's not eternal life. What's that treasure? Or who's that treasure? Friends, it's you. You are that treasure that our Lord, in a fit of seeming insanity, sells all that he has in order to claim for himself. It was right there in Deuteronomy when God said, You, my people, are my treasured possession. This has been true from time eternal. But only through the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus, laying down everything in order to make you and me his own. Do we see what it really means? Do you see the value that you have? Because it's easy to think in our world today, I don't have much value. So often your worth is dependent upon what you're able to contribute, how well you're able to perform. And so for the person who's in the the prime of their life, who has a successful career, who is ticking off all of those boxes, like that well-to-do young man, that person, we say, well, that person has value. But what about the person who's retired? What about the person who's disabled? What about the the stay-at-home mom? What about the countless people in our society that are put over to the margins and said, you don't matter, that your value is dependent strictly upon your performance? You ever felt like you're somebody who comes out on the losing end of that wager? Friends, hear me now. You are that. Pearl of great price. You are that treasure hidden in the field for which Jesus sold all that he had in order to claim you as his own. I want to share with you one of my very favorite pieces, works of art. And if you want to look at the front of your worship folder, I realize some of you are using it also as a shade. So you don't have to if you don't want to. Because I brought it along with me as well. this hanging, hanging up in my bedroom at home. Don't tell my wife. I took it off the wall and brought it here. Uh, and I thought I'd bring it along because we couldn't print it out in color for all of you. And I wanted you to, to see the full thing. So this is a, a painting by an artist named Daniel Bonnell, a American, contemporary American artist. Uh, and it's entitled The Pearl of Great Price." I want to use this for just a moment to help us meditate. First of all, those colors. See, to me, those rich, evocative hues of red and orange can't help but bring to my mind the blood splashed across the canvas, calling to mind the cost of the sacrifice that Jesus made for you and me. Not with gold or silver, Martin Luther says, but with his own innocent blood. So the artist uses those colors to bring that to mind. Then secondly, you might notice, he's got his his shovel there, right? Because he's been out digging in the field. But this is quite obvious. The shovel has the shape of a what? Of a cross. And not only that, that cross has been digging out a a pile of dirt that looks suspiciously like a big old (laughs) stove. And the shadow that it leaves is like a shadow of an empty tomb. That it's through his death and his resurrection that this impulse buyer, our wacky Savior, our Lord Jesus, claims you and me. But here's the, the last thing I want to draw your attention to. and My favorite part of this painting, the reason that I, I purchased this print, put it up on the room so I can look at it every single day. I want you to notice the man. And I want you to notice how he's cradling that pearl. Can you see it? It's so small that little pearl, he's cradling it like a, a father holding his newborn son, like a grandfather doting on his first grandson, kneeling there for joy. Do you realize this is how our Lord? looks like when he thinks of you each and every day doting on you like a father with his firstborn son. One last thought. I don't I don't want to poo-poo the idea that as Christians, as believers, we do sacrifice, okay? That's true. The cost of discipleship is real. We do sacrifice for the sake of Christ and His kingdom. But our sacrifices flow out of His sacrifice, see. And it's not for the forgiveness of sins; it's because we already have the forgiveness of sins. It says Paul says in Romans 12: Therefore, in view of God's mer- mercies, offer up your lives as living sacrifices. See, it's in response to the mercies of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote those words about costly grace, as he got to the end of his life, his all too short life, he died at the age of 39 at the hands of the Gestapo. He recognized toward the end of his life that some people were misunderstanding his idea of costly grace. And they were looking at it like that foolish young man and thinking, okay, what do we have to do in order to purchase our place in And so shortly before he died, he penned a brief poem. One benefit to not having the all on. I can actually get stuff out of my pocket. He wrote this. I'll leave you with this. Who am I? This or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once a hypocrite before others and before myself? a contemptibly woe-begone weakling? Or is something within me still like a beaten army, fleeing in disorder from victory already achieved? Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God. I am thine. I am thine are His, His treasured possession. And that was the costliest grace of all. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.